Hello, everybody. Welcome to the FWL podcast. I'm your host, Will Feynman. We got a great episode for you today. I'm going to be talking to my friend, Garrett Hurt. He's from Davenport, Iowa. He's one of my roommates at the University of Iowa. We're going to be talking to him about UFC 263, which is this Saturday. First, though, we're going to discuss some things in news and politics. I want to report on Joe Manchin. Joe Manchin, for those who don't know, he's a senator from West Virginia. He's a Democrat. He put out an op-ed in the Charleston Gazette last weekend saying that he was not going to vote in favor of the For the People Act, and he doubled down on his statement that he was not going to be voting for filibuster reform or to end the filibuster. Now, why is this important? Well, it's important because currently there's a 50-50 tie in the Senate, which that will be broken by Vice President Kamala Harris, who is a Democrat. With the exception of certain legislation that can be passed using a process called um, reconciliation, most bills can be blocked by the minority party using the filibuster, meaning you would need 60 votes to pass the bill, and if Republicans have 50 seats and Democrats have 50 seats, you would need to get 10 Republicans to vote with Democrats or 10 Democrats to vote with Republicans. Basically, if Democrats don't remove the filibuster, Republicans can block every single piece of legislation that Democrats try to pass that can't be done using reconciliation. So, Gun control, reforms in policing, taking steps to eliminate the gender wage gap, um, a lot of climate change measures, increased minimum wage, pretty much, pretty much everything. Everything that doesn't directly affect taxes and spending. Biden's infrastructure plan, for example, that could be put through using Senate reconciliation if all 50 Democrats in the Senate you know, wanted to do that. And then moving over to the For the People Act, the For the People Act is a bill proposed by Democrats in response to GOP-run state legislatures putting out restrictive voting bills, bills like the one in Georgia and Florida and, and Texas that Democrats and civil rights activists are arguing are more targeted towards people of color, making it harder for people of color to vote. Some of the important things the For the People Act does... For all federal elections, it would require automatic voter registration, same-day registration, and at least two weeks of early voting. Um, It restores voting rights to all felons who have completed their terms of incarceration. It allows registered voters lacking IDs to submit a sworn written statement instead, and it attempts to limit voter roll purges. It also creates new standards to prevent partisan gerrymandering, and it also has provisions to try and eliminate some of those large anonymous donations from corporations and special interests. And that information on the For the People Act is per Vox and MSNBC. So Joe Manchin said he's not going to vote for that, and really the only reason in the op-ed he gave for not voting for that is because it has no Republican support. He doesn't believe that election legislation should be completely partisan, so he's not going to vote for it because no Republicans are going to vote for it. Instead, he proposes an amendment to the Voting Rights Act that is known as the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act, which would update the formula states and localities must use to ensure proposed voting laws do not restrict the rights of any particular group or population. So there we go. 
Those are the facts surrounding the Joe Manchin situation. Now I just want to give some quick commentary, talking about my opinions based off of you know what I've read and heard about the situation. If you don't agree with what I have to say about you know this situation, that's completely fine. I also want to say, please don't you know automatically assume that the people that come on my show share the same political opinions that I do because a lot of them don't. So just because I say something on the show doesn't mean that the guests that come on believe the same thing um and if politics you know isn't your thing feel free to skip to the interview part of the episode because that has no politics in it just about the ufc today i just want to start by saying like many people i am just so confused as to why joe manchin is doing this one reason is this two groups called end citizens united and let america vote action fund commissioned a poll that was conducted by a global strategy group and ALG research to poll West Virginia voters on some of Biden's agenda. They polled them on the For the People Act. It received 79% support, while 15% opposed it. Those are West Virginia voters. 81% of West Virginia Democrats supported it. 79% of West Virginia Independents supported it. 76% of West Virginia Republicans supported it. And I know polls and surveys aren't always great this one had a margin of error of four percent but clearly this bill has majority support so here's the thing senator manchin you say in your op-ed that one of your main reasons for doing this is that you can't just go along with what your party's doing in washington you got to protect the interests of your constituents at home cool that's awesome but clearly you're not doing that joe manchin is saying that he's doing this to promote bipartisanship and I'm all for for bipartisanship and compromise, but I'm all for getting stuff done, too. The thing that I think most people my age complain about the most when they talk about politics is just that they don't get anything done. Um, And Senator Manchin, you know, people voted for you. People voted for Joe Biden. They voted for these Democrats to have the majority in the House and the Senate. And the reason they did that was to get the agenda of those people passed to see changes. And right now, you know, you're doing a lot of things to make sure that that doesn't happen. I don't know what to do with the filibuster, um, but it just seems like they're not going to get anything done if it stays. So hopefully, you know, I'll hold out hope for, for Joe Manchin. Maybe he's right. Maybe I'm wrong. You know, maybe they are going to come together. Democrats and Republicans and pass legislation that follows, at least for the most part, the agenda that people voted for, but just doesn't really look like that's going to happen. And don't be surprised, you know, if that doesn't happen and everything just keeps getting blocked and they get nothing done, that in 2022, you know, they lose all those seats. And who knows what Republicans do with the filibuster? They could get rid of it. And then everything you did was for nothing. Well, I do know for sure. The John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act, you don't have Republican support for that, even though you say you do. Because the Washington Post reported that Mitch McConnell said that Republicans are going to filibuster that and block it. Saying that you're not going to vote for the For the People Act solely because Republicans aren't going to vote for it, of course they're not going to vote for it, man. Republicans are the ones passing these restrictive voting bills at the state level that the For the People Act addresses. Why would they vote for it? Another thing I know for sure... That same poll I mentioned earlier, they also asked West Virginia voters if they support Biden's infrastructure plan, and 68% of them said yes. So when you say you're doing this to protect the interests 
of your constituents in West Virginia. It's just not the truth. All right, welcome back. I'm now joined by a very good friend of mine, one of my roommates at Iowa. He's a UFC enthusiast, Garrett Hurt. Welcome to the welcome to the show, Garrett. Thanks for having me on, Will. Yeah, thanks for being here. Uh, today we're going to talk about um, UFC 263. Um, that's on Saturday, for those who didn't know. We got two title fights, two rematches, and then Nate Diaz is fighting Leon Edwards. So that should be good. We're just going to talk about the main card today. The first thing we're going to talk about, first fight, Paul Craig versus Jamal Hill. Garrett, what can you what can you kind of tell us about these fighters? I, I hadn't heard about them, so I started doing research for this episode. I know Jamal Hill seems to be kind of like an up and coming guy, like a prospect. So, so what can you tell us about these guys? Well, like you said, Jamal Hill, he was on the Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series, and that's how he kind of got his start in the UFC with a lot of interesting um, pro fights before the UFC, and kind of showed his skills there. He's mainly like a kickboxer sort of fight, puts the pressure on and uh, keeps them moving back. And he's going against Paul Craig, who's more of a jiu-jitsu type of fighter. His last fight was in 2020, and he beat a kind of, in my opinion, a washed-up Shogun Rua. In, in my opinion, this is the least interesting fight on the card, but I think it will be interesting to watch Jamal Hill fight because he could be a big name in the future. Right. What weight class is this at? Light heavyweight. Yeah, and Jamal Hill, he's undefeated in the UFC so far. Do you think he's a guy that could potentially in the future, you know, challenge for a belt? Yeah, for sure, but he's going to have to get a lot of bigger names under his belt for uh, winning. He's only beat a big name over in St. Peru. Mm -hmm. He's going to have to go through and kind of prove himself a lot more, and I think it'll be a few years, but he for sure is an interesting prospect. Who do you think think wins this fight and why? I think Jamal Hill's going to win it. I don't think he's going to let Paul Craig take him down. And I don't think it'll be by fancy KO or anything. I think it'll be by decision. But I also think it'll be a good test for him because he's going to a guy who likes to take people to the ground and something he can have um, for the future when he does fight a wrestler or another jiu-jitsu guy. But uh, I don't see Jamal Hill losing this one. Right, yeah. And then that, that'll kick off the main card. So after that, we got Bilal Muhammad, who's an exciting fighter at um, welterweight, and Damian Maya, who has been around for a while. Um, Bilal's last fight was against Leon Edwards, who we'll talk about later. And he took the most vicious eye poke I think I've ever seen. He was bleeding out of his eye. It was really bad. So it ended up being a no contest. Afterwards, Edwards said... You know, he had been dominating the fight, so he didn't really feel like he needed to fight him again. Um, we watched that fight. I would kind of agree with that statement, The just the fact that he was dominating him to start. But then Bilal basically went out and, and was not happy about that. He complained to the media saying that there should have been a rematch after that. Did it seem like Edwards was winning enough, and do you think Bilal deserved the rematch or, or no? Uh, yeah, I think Edwards is dominating that whole fight. I don't think Bilal deserves a rematch. The reason Bilal got that fight was because Leon Edwards, he was out for a long time. And we'll talk about that later when we talk about the Nate Diaz fight. Right, but right. no one else was really stepping up. He asked to fight Kobe Covington. He turned him down. And, you know, Bilal was a guy who stepped in. And credits to him. But, you know, there's levels to this game. And I think Leon showed him that. He's not on the same level as him, and you're right. That was a nasty eye poke, and if that didn't happen, I think Leon Edwards would have gone on to win, and that's why he's fighting Nate Diaz because I think he proved himself that he could beat down on Bilal, and 
But I think with Bilal is, you know, he's keeping the pressure and constantly moving forward. But with Damian Maya, I feel like he's going to get taken down. And even though Damian Maya is, you know, 43 years old, he's one of the best jujitsu guys in the sport. And I think he'll win probably submission in the second or third round. In my opinion, it'll be a lot of groundwork from Damian Maya. Yeah, Damian Maya has been around for a while. 2007, yeah, is when he made his, his uh, UFC debut, which that was quite a while ago um we were in first or second grade so um and he has you know a lot of impressive names in, in his win column you know Chael Sonnen's one of them Neil Magny Carlos Condit Masvidal Ben Askren so like you said you gave your pre- prediction for the fight what do you think what is Maya's you know strength what's his kind of MO when he gets in the in the octagon a lot of those guys besides like Ben Askren and Chael Sonnen those guys are wrestlers but my, the thing about MMA, it's not just wrestling. You can get submissions off your back. It's not a big deal if you're pinned down. Obviously, that's not the position you want to be, but people take out submissions like that all the time from their back. And, you know, he's a legend of the sport. This might be his last fight because he has been talking about retirement, and I just think he goes out with the submission win. And so for Bilal to win, do you think, you know, he would have to keep this on the feet? I mean, I know he's a pretty good striker, so... I'm not an expert on him, but I'm pretty sure he's he's mainly a striker, right? He's not really a ground guy. Yeah, absolutely. For him to win, he's going to have to keep it on the feet. And I just think he hasn't been really tested with takedowns in his career, and especially in the UFC. And so I think he'll struggle against that. But if he does win, he'll have to keep it on the feet. And if he does, I think he could outstrike Damian Maia. I just don't see him um, keeping it on the feet. Right, yeah. And then let's move on. Three five-round fights here. That's a little different than usual but it's 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 a you know it's a different situation here let's talk about nate diaz first because nate diaz is considered a star in the sport there's a reason this guy you know only fights in main events and gets a five-round fight even though it's not for a title you know people who aren't really familiar with the ufc though probably look at his record and, and see the 12 losses and and see that next to the 21 wins and go hey man this dude has lost more than half his fights you know why is he why is he a star so give us an explanation for, you know, what makes USC fans so interested every time Nate Diaz fights and, you know, why is he such a big draw? Um, I think Nate Diaz is one of the biggest draws, probably top five in my opinion, because he's a fighter's fighter. He's the stereotypical when you think if you're outside of the UFC, you don't really know these guys. When you think a UFC fighter, you kind of think tough, rough, you know, rough around the edges. That's Nate Diaz. And since he won the ultimate fighter in season five, I think he's shown the world that, like, he's who he is. He's not fake. He doesn't have to put on these fake personas like Colby Covington and these other characters who are trying to copy uh, Conor McGregor. He's who he is, and he really just doesn't care. And, you know, he beat Conor McGregor. He stepped in on a 10 days notice, and I think that it was, like, oh, kind of a shock to the world. Like, this guy's the real deal. Who's this guy? He just beat Conor McGregor, the pony boy of the UFC. And then he came back. He had a good fight with Conor McGregor. You know, I think Conor McGregor edged out and got that fight. But he went toe-to-toe with Conor McGregor, one of the best strikers in the UFC. And then he beat Anthony Pettis. And then, unfortunately, lost to Jorge Masvidal. Not really. He didn't get beat. He just lost to Dr. Stoppage. He didn't lose. I mean, they were going in the four and five rounds. and That's Nate Diaz's specialty. But I, I just think he's a star of the sport because of who he is, the people he's beat. He competes, his persona. There's a video I watched today. It's the cult of Nate Diaz. Everybody rallies behind him. I mean, they can't because he's not fighting for the belt. But if he was, he'd for sure be the co-main above uh, Moreno and Figueiredo. Nate Diaz also just has, like, 
when you talk about the fight game, there's a lot of guys that like like McGregor. Part of the reason he was such a big star that like even casuals who've never watched UFC fight know his name is because of their personalities, what they do, not necessarily while they're in the ring, but or in the octagon, but out of it. And Nate Diaz is a character. Um, he has some great lines. Like if you look up any YouTube video where it's like funniest lines in in the UFC, he'll have a few on there. But Nate Diaz, you know, he's had some issues with the USC throughout his career that have caused him to take like long layoffs, like two to three year layoffs. So he fought twice in 2019, but before that, he hadn't fought for three years. Um, he's taken yearly layoffs, like three year layoffs. But keep in mind, I mean, he's also been around since 2004, 2006 in this fight game. But what what were kind of you know those issues with the UFCs had what was it kind of money related was it injuries was it the way he's being marketed what was kind of happening that caused him to take these long layoffs? Um, he was having some issues I know with Dana especially after the Connor fight I think he was kind of pissed off that Connor was going to go fight Floyd and take that time off and he wanted that trilogy fight and he felt like he deserved it. You know, but then he finally came to peace, and I think he realized, you know, he's going out of his prime and still needs to get some good fights in. And so he came back, like you said, in 2019. And I think he would have been a lot more active. Uh, I watched this recent interview, and he said because of COVID, he wants the fights there. He felt like there's no real interesting fights for him, and he feels like Leon Edwards is deserving and is, like, getting all these great wins, and he thinks that's a really interesting fight for him. And I think that's awesome for Nate. He's not trying to find the worst he's like going for leon edwards the number one contender number right, two right. contender so yeah yeah so we talked about nate diaz what he does outside the octagon but what about in the octagon what what are kind of his strengths how does he fight how does he beat guys and on top of that you know what are maybe some of his weaknesses why does he have so many losses well i just think you know over the years the ufc used to be a little more different you could take more losses before getting cut um he was such a big personality. It was easy for him to stay um, in in the organization. But his his strengths are striking and Brazilian jiu-jitsu. He's a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And I don't think people realize how hard it is to be a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. It's not like others um, where it just takes a little bit. It takes years to be a black belt. And like you said, some of his weaknesses, we saw it in Jorge Masvidal, his scar tissue. It's bad. Him and Nick, Nick Diaz. Those boys got some nasty skin, and if it gets <laughs> cut up, they bleed really easily. I mean, we saw it when he beat Conor McGregor, when he choked him out. When he was choking out Conor McGregor, he had a couple flush punches to his head, and as he was choking him out, he was bleeding all over Conor because he's got that bad scar tissue, and he cuts really easily. And so that's always an issue, and that's always something I worry about. But everything else, like his heart and just his ability to strike and go toe-to-toe and then go on the ground and grapple with people, that's not an issue, but – the scar tissue and the doctor stoppage after seeing that Jorge Masvidal fight, that's something that always concerns me. But another great strength of his, which I think might uh, help him in this fight, is his stamina and going in those mm-hmm. four and five rounds, those championship rounds. I mean, this guy does triathlons for fun. He's an animal. <laughs> it's so weird. But those are some of his strengths and weaknesses. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think the the scar tissue it, it's it's definitely more of a negative for him because, like you said, in the Masvidal fight, I mean, it wasn't really like Masvidal was killing him, but it's just too much blood. He couldn't really see. They had to stop it. Um, but it's also kind of cool. I mean, if if you're not like a a big fight fan and you don't like watching guys get all bloody and stuff, I would not watch a Nate Diaz fight because it's gonna be a bloodbath every time. 
let's move over to Leon Edwards. Leon Edwards, on the other hand, you know, he's probably the best fighter coming out of the UK, but he's had a lot of misfortune throughout his UFC career leading up to this fight. What can you kind of tell us about what has sort of been the issue? What has kind of been the timeline for him coming up to this fight? Because it hasn't been great. Well, before he fought Bilal Muhammad, you know, he had nearly a 600-day layoff. And he had lasting effects from COVID and a couple other things that kept him out. But before that, I think um, there's just scheduling conflicts. And before they had, uh, before COVID and everything, I just don't feel like they had any opponents really ready for him. And then when he was ready, COVID happened. He got locked down. He was supposed to fight. The original plan was Mark Usman on Fight Island, but Jorge Masvidal did. But he couldn't get out of England. And then, you know, he was going to fight Kamzat. But Kamzat, their fight was scheduled three times and canceled every time because Kamzat is recovering from COVID and is still recovering right now. He's uh, not training hard. He's just doing some, like, uh, regular cardio and stuff. Yeah, Leon Edwards, uh, some other things that happened. I mean, like we we talked about with the Bilal fight, I mean – he poked his eye out. There's video of um, Leon Edwards afterwards. He was he was heartbroken. He was crying on the way back to I think the hotel, um, just because of all the issues he's had. He has also just had some extracurricular. Like Jorge Masvidal punched him backstage um, during an interview. I like Leon Edwards a lot, so I hope he can get this done. But I also like Nate Diaz. That's kind of the issue with this fight is that there's two guys that I think a lot of people like because Leon Edwards he's a nice guy, he's a quiet guy. There's no reason to really dislike him. But Nate Diaz is a fan favorite. So Leon Edwards on an eight-fight win streak. Um, if you take out the Bilal fight, if he wins this fight, does he deserve a title shot? Yeah, absolutely. I think he deserved a title shot before the Bilal fight. Um, most likely, I think he should have fought Colby Covington while um, Usman was taking care of business with Gilbert Burns and Jorge. And then winner of that would have fought um, Usman. And, yeah, absolutely, I think he deserves his fight. And, you know, credits for Leon Edwards, I mean, I know it's Nate Diaz, and he's going to get a big payday for this, but Nate Diaz isn't ranked nearly as high as other guys he could have fought. And I just think it's mad respect to him because if Nate Diaz wins this, he just beat the number one contender. Obviously, Mm -hmm. he's going to have a shot at the title, possibly with Kamar Usman, and he's talked about the possibilities. He's got many things on his table if he wins this. I think this is a huge fight for Nate, and if he wins this, he could have the Jorge rematch. He could have the Connor trilogy or he could go fight the champion. He's got a lot of things on his plate. So all that being said, you know, who wins this fight and why? All right, you're not going to like it. <laughs> but I'm going with Nate Diaz. Got to go with my boy. And here's how I think he wins. He's going to keep it on the feet. He's going to go toe-to-toe with him. And obviously, if he keeps it on the feet, Leon Edwards is still going to be a favorite. And both of these guys, don't get me wrong, I'm not disrespecting Leon Edwards' cardio, but I think they're going to go to championship rounds, and I think Nate Diaz will win by decision. I think the first round, Leon Edwards is going to come out, he's going to put him on him, and Nate Diaz is going to get a feel for him. He's going to take the second. He'll probably lose the third. And then in the fourth and fifth round, I think Nate Diaz wins it. I think he wins majority decision. I'm going to have to disagree. I mean, Gary knows more about the UFC than me. He knows probably what's going to happen better than I do, but... I think there's just too much on the line and too much has happened to Leon Edwards for him to lose this fight. I don't know how he's going to win by decision or, or maybe by making him bleed so much they got to stop him again. But I just think Leon Edwards knows that all is kind of on the line for him here. So I think he's going to come through. Moving on to the next fight, we got the first rematch. Davidson Figueredo versus Brandon Moreno. For those who don't know, they fought back in December of 2020. 
Right. Okay. So they fought in December of 2020. I don't think it was on Fight Island. I think it was at the Apex. But yeah. Yeah. So the last fight, it's regarded as the greatest flyweight fight of all time. It was definitely a slugfest. But there was some controversy because Figueredo lost a point for a low blow on Moreno. It's a really bad low blow. I watched the fight again last night and. He just he just kicked him in the balls. Like there's no other nicer way to put yeah, it. He just, yeah. he just kicked him in the balls. It was on accident, but still. So essentially, Figueredo would have won this fight if he didn't have that low blow. It ended up being a draw. Is that a good way to look at it, or w- would you kind of disagree with that? Do you think you know one of these guys actually should have gotten the victory, and, and the judges got it wrong? Well, here's how I look at. I mean, there's a lot of things that happened to Moreno in this fight that caused him, in my opinion, to make it a draw and not a win for him. But uh, I think we need to have that with the point system. I mean, you could look at it. if In that fight, Figueredo would have won, um, like you said, if that point didn't happen. But we need that in the UFC. I mean, we can't have these guys eye-poking and kicking them in the balls, especially in the UFC championship fight. And that's why we have the point deduction. And earlier in that fight, he did give Moreno an eye-poke. And then mm-hmm. so – the uh, kick to the balls was kind of like the second disqualification. And usually when that happens, they give him, give him a point away. They, you already gave him a warning with something else. And so I think that was the right call. And I think that's something we need to do because you got to keep these fighters safe. And if they're not going to enforce it, then people are going to keep getting away with eye pokes. And be like, well, I can do it a couple times. I can kick them in the balls a couple times. But they're not going to call it. You know, I think the right. good one warning because that happens. But I, I think it's good that they took a point away. Right, right. Um, Figueredo, I heard, you know, has to make a difficult weight cut. He's a big guy for, they're fighting at 125 pounds, and he's bigger than every, every time he gets in there, he looks bigger than everybody he fights. So I heard he has to make a difficult weight cut to make weight for this division. What can you kind of tell us about that and, and how it'll affect this fight? Well, like, when he fought Justice Benavidez the first time for the belt, um, he missed the weight cut, and then he won the fight, and you can't get the belt if you miss the weight cut, even if you right. win the fight. And so I think it'll be okay. He's been doing this for a while. I think he'll make the weight cut and everything. And honestly, in the championship rounds, I just rewatched that fight with Moreno. I think he'll tire out. And it's just a thing where you're cutting so much weight and then building back up on fight night. They said he walks around at 143 on fight night. Like after the weigh-in, he'll gain 18 pounds after the weigh-in, which is insane to me. But – I think that will play an effect on him because Brandon Moreno's game. He's ready to go. He does not care. He's not intimidated in that fight. He was backing up a little bit in the first round, but then as the fight went on, he started putting the pressure back on, and I'm really excited for this fight. These guys also don't – well, I don't know if Moreno doesn't like Figueredo, but I know Figueredo does not like Brandon Moreno. Right. I think yeah. I think after the fight, Moreno said some stuff like, you know, Figueredo was making excuses or he wasn't sick or he was, I don't know yeah. exactly what he right. said, but I know Figueredo does not like him at all. What can you kind of tell us about the styles here um, and, and, and you know, what their strengths are, stuff like that? Uh, Moreno's for sure a boxer, but he did surprise me with a lot of wrestling in that first fight and a lot of takedowns, which I think helped him bring it to a draw. And um, Figueroa's more of a kickboxer and likes to keep him at a distance and go in and out. And Moreno's kind of a bulldog and goes in there and gets after it. But you're right. When they uh, when he said Figueroa and Moreno have beef, they absolutely do. I don't think Moreno cares that much. But Figueroa took it personally when Moreno was saying he wasn't injured, he wasn't sick, like he was fine, and I I practically beat him. Yeah. And so all that being said, you know, 
who do you have winning this fight? Okay. I think in the last round of the fight, the first fight, Moreno had like a broken forearm bone. And I think if that didn't happen, he would have went on and won the fifth round. But he was kind of playing around with it. He would throw it, but he wouldn't make contact. And if he did, he'd pull it back right away or want to go push through his punches. And so I think Moreno's going to win either KO in the fourth round or decision. And I think he's going to use his wrestling more to tire him out because Figueroa, like you said, with the weight cut, it's a lot more difficult. I think he's going to tire him out. And he had a few shots in there where in the third and fourth round, he wobbled him and almost took him out. And, you know, I just think Moreno's going to get it done this time. For those who don't know also, um, I'm just looking back at this. Figueredo defended his belt for the first time in November of 2020, late November. And then a couple weeks later, he fought Brandon Moreno for this fight. So this guy made like two weight cuts in a very small time. Obviously, he probably just kept the weight off, but still for a guy who's, you know, struggles to make weight, that's tough. I think that might have had an an effect on this. I like Brandon Moreno a lot. I don't really know as much about these fighters to make a great decision, but I think I'm going to give it to Figueredo to win this. Um, He just kept, when I watched the first fight, he just kept backing Moreno up. Now, Moreno said that's not going to happen again. He's going to put the pressure on him. But I just think Figueredo is so big and so strong that I think early he might catch him with something. And we might see uh, a finish early on like a, a knockout or, or a TKO or something. The The other thing I want to talk about, though, is the flyweight division. I think it's like the smallest division in men's MMA or the mm-hmm. UFC. It's kind of known as a dead division. Like, I think, like, if there's not another title fight on the card, like, they won't even make it a pay-per-view. Um, so if Figueredo wins this fight convincingly, like, what do they do then? Are there any other guys in that division that can really challenge? Or do you think Dana is kind of just praying to make this a trilogy fight? They won't They won't get rid of the division. It's kind of like Amanda Nunes, how she just beats on everybody. Um, mm-hmm. These guys, there's so many of them in the UFC, and I don't think they could compete at bantamweight. And there's no – they took away strawweight, so they can't move down or anything. So I think they'll keep them alive. And then if they get more guys like Figueredo and Brandon Moreno, I mean, they have a couple scrappers like Tim Elliott in this division who can make it interesting. And it's just one of those things where it'll take a little time, but they'll build it up. And I know Dana for sure will probably make this a trilogy, especially because the first one was a draw. But this first fight has to live up to the last one. If Figueroa comes out or Moreno comes out and KOs him right away, then I don't think there will be a trilogy. Moving on to the the main event, the last fight on the card, Israel Adesanya, for those who don't really follow the UFC but are listening, he's kind of a star in the sport. He's just kind of exciting guy to watch. He's a striker. He's a kickboxer who has a lot of, you know, he likes to do spinning kicks, stuff like that. He's a very talented fighter. Um, Plus, he likes to get the crowd going by, you know, dancing and stuff when he comes out. And he's fighting Marvin Vittori, who is an Italian more of a wrestler, right? Yeah. And they fought before. Last time they fought, it was a split decision, and Adesanya would go on to win the interim title and then win the title, and then he'd fight two title defenses, and then he'd move up to light heavyweight to try to become a two-division champ, which is really hard to do. There's only a handful of people who have been able to do that, and he lost. So... He's coming back down to defend his middleweight belt after losing the light heavyweight fight. These two guys have fought before, like I said, ended a split decision for Adesanya that Vittori claims he won. That was back in 2018, I think. 
I'm sure you watched that fight. Who do you think actually won that fight? Do you think they got it right? Adesanya absolutely won that fight. I think Vittori just caught up that it was a split decision, and I don't know what dumbass judge gave him around, <laughs> but I think that was ridiculous <laughs> because Vittori, you know, he won the third round. He did not win yeah. one or two. Yeah, Vittori definitely won the won the third. Adesanya won the first two. And I don't think there's any doubt about that. It was pretty uh, easy fight to judge. It wasn't hard to call at all. And I don't know. I think Vittori just holding on to that, that, man, I got a round against me. And one judge gave it to me. But I don't think that'll happen again. Right. And what can you tell us about Vittori? He's not really a, no, a more known guy. Because when you look at middleweight, like, the guys that are really known are like Adesanya, Robert Whitaker, Darren Till's a guy because I know he was an exciting prospect who hasn't quite paid off. Then you got Romero and Paul Acosta, but those are kind of the main guys that are known in middleweight. So you got Vittori here, who's not really as known. He's on a five-fight win streak against a bunch of guys that I don't recognize, with the exception of Kevin Holland. He's he's kind of fun. Um, but what is his style? Do you think he has a chance? You know, what will he have to do to kind of win this fight? I mean, my opinion personally, I don't think he has a chance. His keys to win are to take him down and do something similar that Jan did to him, you know, dance around with him the first and second round and then dominate three, four, and five. But Jan has such a bigger size, and I really don't think that Vittori will be able to take him down, or if he will, it won't be for long. And he's a bull rush. He, he goes in and he puts the pressure on, but I don't think that's good, especially against a fighter like Adesanya, who's big on the counter strikes and will right. catch him when Vittori comes in. Right. Yeah. And for those who don't know, so Adesanya moved up to light heavyweight, but he like didn't put on any weight. Like he right. said he that fight week. Pounds. Yeah. He said that fight week, if I needed to make weight for middleweight, I could, which yeah. I don't know why. Cause Jan is like a big guy who probably puts on weight after the weigh in. Oh, so yeah. Jan just kind of uses size to take him down. Um, so he's coming off that loss at light heavyweight. Do you think his first loss, you know, might affect his confidence at all? Maybe lead to a string of defeats? Because I know the UFC can kind of be like that. You could be riding high, and then that one loss. Tony Ferguson is a great example. You riding high, and then you get that one loss, and then all of a sudden it turns into mm-hmm. a string. So do you think that could be the case here, or is it just kind of a one-time thing because he wasn't really ready to move up? I don't think he'll, you know, dwell on that too much or go on a losing streak or anything like that because going up. I mean, we've had people go up and be double champs. DC did it, but it was light heavyweight to heavyweight when that man already walks around at heavyweight. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. It's, right. It's, it's, and to go to middleweight to light heavyweight is about a 20-pound jump. And like McGregor and other guys did it, it's only about 10 pounds to be a double champ. And so it's a lot more difficult. And I think Vittori is a great bounce back fight to kind of get back in the winning mindset because I right. think personally he's going to dominate him. And I don't think that Jan fight will bother him too much because, I mean, credit to Adesani. He had the balls to go up and try to fight Jan, and it didn't work out for him. He lost, but he didn't get absolutely dominated or anything like that. It was a fairly close fight. Yeah, it was a close fight. Adesani, or Jan kind of just used his weight and, and laid on him for a while and got yeah. the elbows in. Um, if Adesanya does win this, you know, we're talking about middleweight now, what happens next in that division? Do you think he'll go fight Robert Whitaker right away? Or is Whitaker going to fight somebody else soon? What's the situation at middleweight? He fights Bobby Knuckles. That's the fight. That's the <laughs> fight to make. He's going to fight Robert Whitaker. Robert Whitaker could have had this fight, but he said he wanted a longer training camp, which is totally understandable. And I think Robert Whitaker is the next guy in line, and he's hungry. And that's a fight that I'm really excited about. 
And I think Adesanya is smart not to take the Robert Whitaker fight, you know, or wait until Robert Whitaker's ready and get this Vittori win under his belt before he fights Whitaker. Right. That's that's pretty much that's pretty much all we got talking about the UFC. Special thanks for for Garrett to come on. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Will. And yeah, have a nice day.